Praise the Lord. Amen. He didn't see me pull up on the Harley. <laughs> Actually, I have a Schwinn. <laughs> Amen. If I can get that projector to turn on, thank you, brother. Um, it's always good to be here, and um, we don't really need a whole lot by way of introductions. I mean, we feel very much at home here. You know, this is this is an extension of of our fellowship. You know, when we get a chance to be here. Um, I want to teach you a Bible study today, and in teaching you this Bible study, um, I want to hopefully um, leave you with something more than just some additional knowledge of Scripture, but also an understanding of how God works and um, how it's expected that God would work in your life and in your family. And... Um, I'm just going to get right into it because I, I honestly feel that what I've got to say with this lesson is a whole lot better than anything I could possibly just say it off the top of my head. Um, my wife takes a deep breath. That's a relief. <laughs> Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 4, it reads like this. And this is how the universe was created. When the Lord God made the universe, there were no plants on the earth, no seed that sprouted because he had not sent any rain, and there was no one to cultivate the land. No one. And so God created this planet, and he had plans for the planet, but there was something obvious that was missing. Well, yeah, you know, the trees were missing, the lawns were missing, the f all that was missing. That was going to come in due time. But it's called out there was no one to cultivate. And the Lord God placed, I, actually, I got to go back. I must have hit this button here. Pretty sensitive button. You got new batteries in this thing. And the Lord God, I'm just going to turn around and read it here. And the Lord God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. Then the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to guard it. So here's the story. Now, if that was all that we had of the Bible, if that was, you know, no more Bible, that was it we would have a clear understanding of why the man was on earth. He was there because God had created an earth. He had created a beautiful place, and there was nobody there to take care of it. And so God said, well, I'll make this man. I'll put him there, and he will cultivate it, and he will guard it. It begs the question. Was the garden made for the man, or was the man made for the garden? Your attitude about that question completely changes how you live. It completely changes how you go to church. Now we go to Genesis chapter 12, and we find an interesting story. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, 
your relatives, your father's home, and go to a land I will show you. I will give you many descendants. They will become a great nation. Very similar scenario. God had a land. God had a guy. He said, I want you to go to that land that I'm going to show you. And so the story in the Bible has to do with the land, the garden, Israel, and the people. The story in the Bible has to do with the church. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door. Have you ever seen that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? And there's all the people. And we have to understand the difference between the garden and Adam, between the land and Abraham, and the church and the people that make up the church. You, you were still with me? Okay, I don't want to get too complicated here. I don't want to go too fast. So the question for Abraham and the land is, was the land made for the children of Abraham, or was Israel made for the land? God said, I got this land. I got this property. And I'd like you to go there, and I'd like you to populate it. But in Psalms 87, it says, the Lord built Jerusalem on the holy mountain. He loves its gates more than any other place in Israel. City of God Wonderful things are said about you. He loves the land. Sorry, Abraham, if that goes against your ego. Sorry, Adam, if that hurts your pride. But, dude, you're dirt. <laughs> and God put you there for a reason. Oh, my gosh. I think, hey, brother, I think we have the timing on of this thing. Are you able to turn off timings in PowerPoint? If you don't know how to do it, then I'll just have to click back occasionally. Okay? So we're going to take a look in Ezekiel 36. If we have technical glitches, I worked at Microsoft for 15 years. I'm all about technical glitches. <laughs> so we want to go back a little bit here. And I want to bring up, please come up. There you are. Oh, don't go away. <laughs> anyway, if we were to read in Ezekiel 36, it's going, you'll notice that God is speaking to the land. Okay? You want to follow that? And it says, behold, I am for you. I will turn on to you. You shall be tilled and sown. He's talking to the dirt. He's talking to the land. I will multiply men upon you. All the houses of Israel, even all of it, all the cities shall be inhabited and the waste shall be builded. I will multiply upon you man and beast. They shall increase and bring fruit. I will settle you after your old estate and do better unto you than at your beginning. You shall know that I am the Lord. He's talking to the land. And he's telling the land, I'm going to bring some people here. They're going to 
shovel your sidewalks. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna sweep your streets. They're going to pick your fruit. You don't have to worry. Men and women are going to come and children are going to play in your fields. Because God loves the land. And he says, I'm going to bring some people here to take care of you. Wow. It's kind of like what God told the earth. Keep calm, earth. Everything's going to be okay. I know you're getting a little worried that your branches are getting heavy. I know you're wondering about that fruit that's starting to come out on this first harvest. But I got an Adam coming. And he's going to cultivate. He's going to pick. He's going to pluck. He's going to plow. He's going to do all these things for you because you can't do it without him. And that's your place in the church. Don't worry, empty chair. God's going to fill you. Don't worry, Sunday school room. There's going to be children down there laughing and playing and growing and learning because God loves the church, and he's going to put people in it. Are you still following me? This is not my message. It really isn't. This is just a preparation for what I really want you to understand. If we take a look at the Old Testament, we find out that it really is a history of Abraham's family, but also the story of the land. And there's a lot to the Old Testament. There is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love that story. Then there's the story of Israel in Egypt all the way up to Moses. Then we've got the story of the judges, the kings, and sin and judgment. And as you study more into the Old Testament, you're going to find there's a story of exile where the people of Israel were taken out of the land and sent away. But then there's also a story of their return. This is almost like five separate lessons, brother, and you only called me here for one. I'm going to give you lesson number five. Blame Elder Hart. <laughs> if you don't know one through four, you've got something to teach now. How many here feel like you really know the Old Testament? That's excellent. Excellent. The Old Testament has so much for us. I realize we are not under the law of Moses, but do not ignore the Old Testament. There is so much that God wants to teach you from this. And as we look at lesson number five, you say, Brother Burton, do you have lesson number one through four? Nah. <laughs> of course not. But maybe someday I'll get a chance to. I'm going to get carnal. How many ever saw Star Wars? You know Star Wars better than you know the Bible? Come on now. You know that it began at the end. And then everything was a prequel, right? It, then they, you know, Star Wars number two was actually in front of Star Wars number one. I grew up under this stuff. I just told these folks I'm getting old. Well, so is Star Wars. <laughs> okay? So this is a prequel. This is a peak at lesson number four that doesn't exist yet. 
Steven Spielberg did it, I can do that. In Leviticus 26, at Mount Sinai, when God is receiving the law, he's telling him, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, do this, don't do that. And then he says, the Lord said, if you will not obey my commandments, you will be punished. If you refuse to obey my laws and commands and break the covenant I made with you, I will punish you. And then he goes on, I will turn your cities into ruins, destroy your places of worship, and refuse to accept your sacrifices. I will destroy your land so completely the enemies who occupy it will be shocked at the destruction. I will bring war on you and scatter you in foreign lands. Your land will be deserted, your cities left in ruins. I thought he likes that place. I thought he liked that land. But look at what he said. Look at what he said to Adam. You mess up. I'm going to kick you out. Look at what he said to the nation of Israel. You mess up. I'm going to kick you out. Because he's not going to have the land that he loves abused. What can I say about the church? What can I say about the church? The land shall be left without them and shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate without them. They shall accept the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgments because their soul abhors my statutes. And so Moses warned them. And then many, 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 many years later, in Second Chronicles, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. That's 70 years. The land shall enjoy her Sabbaths. I thought the Sabbath was for man. That says the Sabbath is for the dirt. The Sabbath is for the earth. And the earth, God told Moses in the law, you folks have to keep Sabbath. And they thought it was for them. And they're like, well, you know, I really don't feel like I need to do this. I don't have a conviction that I should do this. I don't feel strongly or I've got a reason not to. Now, I'm not saying that we are Sabbath keepers like the Old Testament. That's not the point here. But in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, God told them, every seventh day, you take it off. And then he said there's also going to be Sabbaths of years where every certain period of time, an entire year will pass where you will not plant the fields. And the land will lay at rest because the land needs rest, and the land enjoys that. The land enjoys rest. Remember, God talked to the land, and the land has feelings. And Adam and Eve got kicked out, and the children of Israel got kicked out for 70 years so that the land could enjoy a break from those people. 
I'm going to jump ahead a little. God started his church on the day of Pentecost. The church really messed up. Did you know that? Got into some bad doctrine, got into some bad actions, started following its own ways. In study history, the church virtually seems to have disappeared from the earth. What a mess. They call it the Dark Ages. It was a horrible time on this planet. But then God started to restore the church. Here we are again today. What was that all about? I think that was all about what I'm talking to you about. God's going to have a church, but he told those people, you're not going to be in it. It's not going to be for you. And he told that generation in Israel, 70 years, you'll all be dead. I know about, about 70 years. February, I'm going to be 70. And I've already told the Lord. I said, so, Lord, 70 years is what you promise. Or if by strength, more. I haven't always been a good Christian. I haven't always done what I'm supposed to do. I started my life out as a mess. But God's given me 70 years, that looks like. And I've told him, you know, after 70, I'm really kind of living on borrowed time. I've used up that life that I messed up. Let's see what we can do with the rest. Let's see what we can do with that extension that you're giving me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because after 70 years... God says, I'm going to let you go back in the land. But there's going to be some rest. And then in 2 Chronicles we read, So the Lord brought the king of Babylon to attack them, Judah. God handed them over to that king. The king of Babylonia looted the temple, the temple treasury, the wealth of the king and his officials, took everything back to Babylon. He burned down the temple and the city and all its palaces and its wealth and broke down the city wall. He took all the survivors to Babylonia where they served him and his descendants as slaves until the rise of the Persian Empire. The length of the, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire was a time of judgment for Israel. And then God said, As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is the guy that was supposed to be king, Though he were the signet ring upon my right hand, I would pluck thee thence. He said, if you were the ring on my finger, the signet ring, I would take you off and I would give you a toss. King Coniah is the signet ring that was removed. And for 70 years, Israel had no land and they had no authority. This is what a signet ring is all about. If you'll notice, it's, it's raised. And when the king or whoever possessed the signet ring would write a letter or make a decree, they would put a wax seal on it. And they would take their ring and press it into the wax. And that is what a signet is. And we use that word today. It's called signature. When you sign a check, it's your signet. And that's the authority. It's the name that brings the authority. And the king with the ring was allowed to do that. But God said, not only are you going to lose the land, you're going to lose my name. 
And so for 70 years they were in exile. The whole land of Israel shall be in desolation for 70 years. And then it says, For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. This generation is going to lose it all. Another generation is going to come. I'm going to let you come back. You're going to return. So I want to just do a, a quick recap in case I've lost anybody here. This is the earth. God loves this earth. And he put the children of Abraham over here and told them, take care of it. And he also had another spot over here where he would drag them to if they messed up. And that's where Babylon was located. And under the magnifying glass, we can see them leaving the land of promise. And if we look closely, the cities are burning, and it's left a desolation for 70 years while the land lay at rest. Okay, now, is this a couple of verses in the Bible that I've pulled out from obscure locations to talk about this? Or is this something that's really in the Old Testament? We find it in Jeremiah. We find it also in the book of Lamentations, written by Jeremiah. Lamentations means weeping and wailing because of the land being desolate. And during the 70 years of exile, we find that God continued to work with people in exile. And there we find the book Ezekiel, Daniel, and an amazing story of a young girl named Esther. But we also find after the exile was over that there are Old Testament books that speak of this, and it's Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. Nine books in your Old Testament is about this story, 70 years in length of these people being in exile and coming back. That's a huge portion of your Bible on this little story that we're talking about today. Nine books of the Bible having to deal with 70 years in exile. And when those 70 years were over, something started to happen. It wasn't something that man concocted. It wasn't a plan of I was a project manager for many years. It wasn't a project manager that said, hey, let's do it like this. It wasn't even a pastor. It wasn't even a district superintendent. Seventy years later, God began to build a bridge, and he put it in the hearts of his people, return. And this is how that happened. Nails? I must have the wrong lesson here. What's the guy bringing up nails for? Is it, any carpenters here? Anybody here work with a nail? Okay. Yeah. Y'all know what a nail's for? Okay. I don't. I don't know which end of a hammer to use to hit. I'm not a carpenter. Okay. But when I was a kid, I had some nails. And you know what they were? That, that many years ago, brother, you know what a nail was for a kid? It was a toy. That's the stuff we used to play with. 
We didn't have all the fancy stuff that's a, we didn't have computers, we didn't have electronic games, we didn't have any of that stuff. And most of us didn't even have toys. We had stuff that we would find and we would play with it. And I'm not making this up, I had nails. And you know what else I had? A magnet. Now this is for you science guys. Anybody ever play with a magnet when you were young? Oh, good. <laughs> I started out with bobby pins. <laughs> and I, I could put a bobby pin on the table, and with my magnet, I could make that bobby pin stand up and dance. That's way more fun than a computer game. I go in my son's room, and he's playing a computer game, and it's like, he's not having fun. I'm going to buy him a magnet and a Box of bobby pins. Tell them, bring your friends out over. This stuff's cool. I got so good with that magnet, I could do that. Make them stand. Make them stand at attention. The magnet attracted the metal. There's something almost magical about that. I still haven't been able to quite figure that out. You know, that there's a space between the magnet and the metal, but it's still... Stands up. Wow, God. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, well, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? I'm asking about this. <laughs> this, is the, this is what I've got on my mind. Okay, back to the story. Daniel chapter 9. He was in exile in Babylon as a young man. And he lived there until he was an old man. And seven years he was there. Darius the Mede, son of Xerxes, ruled over the kingdom of Babylon. In the first year of his reign, I've, I've highlighted that in red. I've really got to ask you, hang on to this. Darius or Darius, however you want to pronounce it, the Mede, this is the first year of his reign. He's just getting started. And he said, I, Daniel, was studying the sacred books and thinking about the 70 years. That's what we're doing right now. We're studying the sacred books, and we're thinking about the 70 years. This is how I got this lesson. I was at home a couple weeks ago, and I had been in a discussion with someone on prophecy, and I thought, well, I, I really need to go back and refresh myself. Even though I'd like to consider myself knowledgeable, I have to go back again and again and again. And so I was back in the book of Daniel, and I was studying this 70 weeks and thinking about it, and I saw something. I'd never seen before. But then I've only been doing this for 50 years. So don't think you're so smart that you don't need to read your Bible again. You got to go back and back and back. And with an attitude like Daniel, thinking about it, studying it, the 70 years that Jerusalem would be in ruins according to what the Lord had told the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what God showed me. He showed me how he and we are like magnets and nails. Daniel says, well, I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, 
came flying down to where I was. He explained, Daniel, I've come here to help you with the, understand the prophecy. When you begin to plead with God, that's in a good attitude to study. When you begin to plead with God, God, show me something. Talk to me. He answered you. He loves you. And so I've come to tell you the answer. Now pay attention while I explain the vision. And immediately, something happened to Daniel. He got in the influence of the magnet. And he stood at attention. Can you, can you follow that analogy? Could he? Okay. I'll tie this together. Near the same time, near that same time, another guy, another place, another realm, possibly another spiritual being, near that same time, we read in Zechariah, in the second year of the reign of Darius, notice that, the second year. It's all these dates are given us. They're there for a reason. The angel of the Lord answered and said, the angel's talking here. O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you have had indignation these 70 years? What? Daniel is down there in Babylon saying, I'm getting old, Lord. Could you please help me with this 70-year thing? Angels up in heaven saying, Lord, could you please help me with this 70-year thing? At the same time, the angel comes under the influence of the magnet. Is that biblical? I mean, don't angels know everything? No, they don't. As a matter of fact, this is written about in your New Testament. I got to turn around to read this. First Peter 1, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Whoa, that's a mouthful. In the Old Testament, the prophets were saying, God, show us what's going to happen in the future. Show us what some of these prophecies mean. Unto whom it was revealed. It was revealed to them that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported to you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. This verse is actually talking about Daniel's 70 weeks. Because if you go deeper, and we're not going there today, if you go deeper into what the angel told Daniel, is it reveals when Jesus the Messiah would be born. To the day. Just like Micah said he would be born in Bethlehem. So that when the wise men came and inquired in Jerusalem of the king, where is the king that was born, the Messiah? How did the people know that? And so he inquired of the wise men, or of the, of the, 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 the scribes. And they said, well, he's going to be born in Jerusalem. And, you know, if you take a look at Daniel, he's going to be born this week. Yeah. 
But this was not revealed for the purpose of Israel. It was revealed for the church. But I just want you to look at this. Which things the angels desire to look into? The angels. Saying, Lord, there's something going on with this 70 weeks or this 70 years. Could you explain that to us? Absolutely. Now we go to the book of Zechariah. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, number three, these dates are here for a reason. Came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. The Lord has been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried. God began to speak to this man at the same time, and he comes under the influence of the magnet. Now we go to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, please understand, all of these books, all of these prophecies, with the dating from the king of Syria, God's trying to teach us something. In the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to jo Joshua, the son of Josdek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not the time. This isn't the time. We can wait. We've been waiting for a long time. My parents never had a temple. We don't need a temple. My family didn't go to church in the past. It's not the time. It's the time. It's the time. Let me tell you something, church. It's the time. It's the time right now. You're living in the time. Don't say that God's not doing something. It's the time. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? It's time for you to have a job. It's time for you to build up a career. It's time for you to buy a new car. It's time for you to do all this stuff. But it's not time for God to build a church. It's the time. It's time. And this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Wow. And so as the 70 years came over and passed, and it came time now for the Revival and the restoration, God began to speak to people. And they began to respond. What do we have here? The magnet pulls different men. Daniel, unknown angel, who's curious. Zechariah, and now Haggai. But it doesn't even come close to ending there. Click. What is the magnet? It's word and it's spirit. It's word and it's spirit. This is what draws people into alignment with the will of God. Let's take a look at some verses in the New Testament. But the hour cometh and now is... When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't know why I left that as truth there for some reason. In spirit 
and in truth. God is looking for people at this hour who are attracted by spirit and the word of God. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Science experiment here. You can take a wooden dowel and a nail. Take that magnet and pass it over them. And the nail will stand erect. And the wooden dowel does nothing. That's why the world can't receive this. That's why the world can't receive this. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send from, unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, when the magnet comes, it's going to pull the nails, and the logs are going to sit there. Which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. The spirit of truth is going to guide us and direct us into the restoration and the building of his church in this end hour. Paul writes like this. In whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You received the word and you received the spirit so that you can be aligned with the purpose of God in this hour. That's why God's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh right now. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth, it has to be both. It's not enough to say, well, I believe the Bible, if you receive the Holy Ghost. It's not enough to say, I speak in tongues. Are you living the Bible? Spirit and truth. Oh, this is just going on and on and on. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God, he's just the stick. He's just a piece of wood. If you've ever entered into the ministry of evangelism, sharing the gospel with people, and you talk to people about the Lord, and the Spirit of God begins to draw them as you open the Bible, you can tell right away what they're made of. You're talking to a log. <laughs> you know what Jesus said when you enter into a city and you meet people like that? Just wipe the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. Don't spend your entire ministry trying to get a stick to stand up to a magnet. They're not interested. Move on. Move on. But if you find someone, this sounds weird, little dance. <laughs> you know, maybe that's why God says you're going to be a dancing generation. You know, it's the magnet. I'm sorry, I can't stop <laughs> This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Test them with the spirit. Test them with the word. Whoop, there we go. Okay, you got that, right? So let's continue. Now we're in Nehemiah, and we're still looking at God attracting people. The words of Nehemiah 
son of this other guy. Hananiah, one of my brethren, came and he said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, the gates are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words. Wow. And I've told my testimony here before. I had no intentions to be a Christian. No intentions at all. That was not what I intended to do. I was hitchhiking, passed through Chicago one night, ended up in Cleveland, just this side of Cleveland, and my sister had become a Christian. I hadn't seen her for a long time. I thought, I'll go see her. Found out where she lived, it was an apartment, knocked on the door. She opens up the door, I'm standing there, hair down my back, patch over my eye, I thought I looked like a pirate. <laughs> Johnny Depp, weep your eyes out. <laughs> you got nothing on this guy. I'm standing there. I was on my way to Florida to get in some trouble. She took one look at me. She says, you are running from God. I am so glad she didn't say, you need to go to church. I would have argued with her. She put the magnet on me, brother. I don't even know who was speaking through me at that moment. I said, you're right. What did I say? I said, you're right. I walked into her apartment, sat down, and she called her pastor. He come out, and I'm on my knees in front of a couch repenting. Nobody got to sing to me. I didn't get an altar call. All I got was a magnet. Spirit and word, it's powerful. If you are of the right metal, it'll get you. It works, it works, it works. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I got time. I had to talk about the guy with the biker jacket. I probably told this story, but it's, just, it's there. I knocked on a friend's door. I've been a Christian for less than a year. I knocked on a friend's door. I hitchhiked out to his place. I didn't have a car. He opens up the door. He looks at me and he goes, Berglund, what happened to you? I didn't think I looked that bad. <laughs> but my hair was gone. And I was wearing decent clothes. And I said, I've become a Christian. Standing outside the door, I didn't even get a chance to go inside and chat. I'm already telling him, I've become a Christian. The magnet was on that guy says, come on in. And we sat down. He says, tell me about it. I told him about what God had done in my life. His girlfriend, Gail, she was upstairs. She comes downstairs. She looks at me, lets out a grunt, turns around, goes back upstairs. She hated me. 
they used to live down in Minneapolis. Me and my buddies used to go down there and party at their place. She didn't like all that partying. She was into Scientology, that cult. She grunts and goes upstairs, and Jeff says, hop in the car, let's go for a ride. We hop in the car, we drive across the um, border there into Wisconsin. I lived right there on Duluth. He stops in a bar and he buys a bottle. I'm thinking, this can't be good. We, he gets in the car, we drive to a biker house where the Thunderbirds used to party. He says, come on, let's go upstairs. Okay. <laughs> this isn't turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. We go upstairs, and he begins, he, he used to hang around with the bikers. His brother-in-law was a Thunderbird. And so he's like hanging around with them guys, talking and laughing. I'm feeling like I'm really out of place. I'm feeling like a piece of metal in a drawer of wood. <laughs> and I don't know what to do, so I reach into my pocket where I used to keep my cigarettes. But I had replaced them with something that had the same kind of paper as cigarettes or a joint that you would roll. A New Testament. <laughs> that really thin paper, that was a weird connection I made. And so I reach into my pocket, and any time I would get nervous and wanted a cigarette, I would take it out, and I would roll me some verses. <laughs> okay? And so I'm sitting there at this biker party reading my Bible. And this guy comes up to me, and he wants to fight. Well, of course. What else are they going to do? That's what they do for sport. Now, I'm a pretty big guy. Yeah, I think, what, like 6'3", 250 pounds? Anybody want to fight me? Um, come on, I'm 70. <laughs> Lord, this is not the way it started. I'm standing at his door telling him I'm Christian. Now I'm in a biker house about ready to fight for my life. My buddy looks at me and he says, come on, let's go. I say, yeah, let's just go. Let's walk away. So I get up, we walk down the steps, the biker follows me all the way outside swearing at me. We get in the car, driving down the road, Jeff rolls down the window, throws out the bottle, moved in with me that night. Today, he's married to Gail, and they pastor a United Pentecostal Church in Iowa. The magnet is strong, it's strong. You got to hear the word. You got to hear the word. And Nehemiah began to pray and to fast. Let's just move right on. He ended up going to Jerusalem. And he took a look at the mess that God was going to restore. And the magnet was strong in his life. And, you know, Saul of Tarsus, when he got saved, you know, the magnet got him. You know that. It was the magnet. The Spirit and the Word got him on the road to Damascus, and he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Well, I'm going to do this. It's no longer Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah. <laughs> you remember that now when you're studying this. It's Nehemiah, and he is going to rebuild the walls, that Nehemiah guy. Now we go to the book of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Darius is gone. And now there's another guy in his place. 
the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. The magnet now is going to Persia, and it's messing with this new king. That he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, put it in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Then rose up, get to the nails, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, Benjamin, the priests, the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go and build the house which the Lord is in Jerusalem. God's starting to reach other people. But he got the king of Persia. How did he do that? Do you know who this guy is? Anybody ever read the book of Esther? And how that she married the king? They had a kid. And that kid, when he got married, he had a kid. Cyrus, king of Persia, is the grandson of Queen Esther. God had been planning this for 70 years long years. And if he couldn't get this one or that one, he'll take the last one. Into the third generation, that magnet can reach. Amazing. Simply amazing. Oh, boy. So this is what we see. Nails standing up. Nails, more nails, just being reached by the Spirit of God. It just seems to grow and grow and grow. It's like a revival in the land. What's going on here? Let's take a look at some of this. Daniel, Ezra, Zechariah, Haggai, Nehemiah, Cyrus, Hachaliah, Benjamin, Joshua, Zerubbabel. These are people that are being reached and responding to the Spirit and the Word at the same time because God's doing something. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, I got something really big for you guys. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. What will God do to reach this community? He will shake heaven and earth. He said, I'm going to mess it up if I have to, but I'm building my kingdom. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, I will make thee as a signet ring, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember how God said at the beginning of the 70 years, I'm taking the ring off and I'm throwing it away. Now he's telling at the end of the 70 years to the governor, actually, I didn't throw that ring away. I picked it up, it's been in my pocket, and I'm giving it to you. I don't look for any additional revelation in the Pentecostal church. When God gave us the authority of the name of Jesus, when we started baptizing in Jesus' name, to me, that's this. That's where we are. God says, I've raised up all these people with my spirit and my word. But now to you, I'm giving my name. You have the authority to use my name. Use it. 
Zerubbabel is the signet ring that was restored. God is raising up a people. God is building a temple. The last thing to be restored was the signet ring with the authority of the name. Don't ever step back from this. Don't ever step back from this. In the book of Ezra, and I'm getting to a close here, the enemies of the people of Judah and Benjamin heard that those who had returned from exile were rebuilding the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. So they went to see Zerubbabel and the heads of the clans and said, let us join you in building the temple. We worship the same God you worship. We've been offering sacrifices to him ever since Emperor Esrahedon of Assyria sent us here. So there were people that had gone into the land, but they were not brought there by God. But when the people of God went to the land to start building again that which had been destroyed, they said, can we join you? Y'all mind if we pitch in? This is a small congregation, but it's growing. And the day's going to come, this will be a larger congregation, and you will attract the attention of other churches. And they're going to want to help. They're going to say, can we join you? Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the heads of the clans told them, we don't need your help to build a temple for the Lord our God. We will build it ourselves. Remember that. Remember that. What God has begun in you, let God continue to do through you. You don't need help of the others around. If God be for us, who can be against us? I got three questions, then I'm going to close. Is the church here for you, or are you here for the church? Adam, what are you doing in that garden? I guess God put me here for a purpose. Brothers, sisters, what are you doing in the church? I guess God put you here for a purpose. To cultivate and to guard. To cultivate and to guard. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God has determined at this time, he has predestinated it. He predetermined it. It's been established. There's no doubt about it. I even cheated. I read the back of the book. There's going to be a church, the holy Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out, from God, out of heaven. There's going to be a people. But the question is, will you be one of them? Will you be there? You may not make it to heaven. But God is going to have a church. Adam may not stay in the garden, but that tree of life is going to bloom again someday. That generation of Israel may end up in Babylon, but God's going to raise up a Daniel. 
make sure you stay in the kingdom of God. Does the Spirit and the Word stir you up, raise you up, and align you to God's will? And I, I want to say something a little bit deep here. Sometimes we think when we have a good church service that that's what I'm talking about. I am talking about a life-changing experience that affects you day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, so that 50 years later, I'm as excited about the kingdom of God as I was kneeling in front of that couch in Laredo, Ohio. It has to stick with you. The magnet can't let go of you. It can't be just getting excited in a church service, and you got to get excited. But it's got to be something more, more, more. And the only way I know how to do it is stay close to the Word. Stay close to the Spirit. A little science here. I learned that if I took that magnet too far away from those bobby pins, they'd fall back down. What's the distance between you and God where you are at your optimum? What's the distance? I had to get closer for the nails because they're a little harder to reach. Brothers, some of us, maybe we have to stay real close to God, right? We got to stay real close. Some of you folks, maybe you can get a couple inches away from him and you're okay. I wish I could stick to the magnet. <laughs> I don't need that air between me and God anymore. I would like to stick to the magnet. But does it affect you? If it doesn't, then you're not metal. I, I, I want to say this because I don't want to leave you without hope. You know, what you need to do then is get the word of God into your heart. And when the word gets planted in your heart, it'll start to change you. You are not determined to be lost. But the only thing that's going to bring salvation to you is get into the word of God. Don't just listen to it for a few minutes from whoever's preaching on a Sunday. Get a Bible and read it and read it and read it. Finally, have you personally received the authority of the name of Jesus in your life? You got to make you got to make it your own. Elder